Today in the program, we talk about uh, some of the new things going on uh, at the CDC. We have that for you today. Uh, shockingly, things are changing yet again. We'll get into that. We also have uh, Justin Haskins on. He is the co-author of Glenn's new book. Now, Glenn's new book comes out tomorrow. You can find it at glennsnewbook.com. It's called The Great Reset, uh, Joe Biden and the Rise of 21st Century Fascism. And it goes into a lot of the details on this. You probably heard the term Great Reset. If you don't know anything about it, you can go on the internet and find all sorts of stuff that's not true. Or you can go to this book and find the stuff that's documented. It's called Glenn Beck's The Great Reset, available at glensnewbook.com. We have Jason Buttrell on as well, talking about all the crazy stuff going on in Kazakhstan. Whenever you can get more Stan news, if you any Stan-based country, I'm always there for it. Turkmenistan, Kazakhstan, Tajikistan, all of them, I'm there for. Uh, so that's on today's program. Uh, you can subscribe and rate and review this podcast. Uh, please do. Five stars is the appropriate number of stars. Also, Stu Does America, available by podcast as well. We're going to be talking about some of the uh, crazy things going on with the CDC and how Joe Biden has completely let us down despite giving him trillions and trillions of dollars to solve this. That's on Stu Does America. You can subscribe to that podcast as well right here on this podcast platform. And here is the show from today. The best of the Glenn Beck program. All right. Zev Zelenko. He has put together his ZPAC protocol. 99 point uh, or 99% survival rate for all of the people that he has uh, worked on uh, over the last couple of years. Nominated for a Presidential Medal of Freedom. He is peer-reviewed into the top journals and he uses all open sources so you can see exactly what, he, what his thinking is and how it's uh, backed up. Uh, Dr. Zelenko, welcome to the program, sir. How are you? Hi, Glenn. Thanks so much for having me. Um, thank you for uh, taking my call on, uh, on Friday and making me feel, uh, I would say, 90% better by today. Um, and uh, I think it, is, it was so frustrating last week, Zev, that, that uh, uh, my doctor couldn't really prescribe the things that he wanted to prescribe. Um, you can't really get any of the information, and everybody is... And nobody knows what they're really talking about anymore. You've studied this now for two years. What have you found? Well, let me tell you how I got involved with this. COVID chose me. I found myself in the epicenter in March of 2020 in the largest uh, outbreak of COVID in a small community in upstate New York with 35,000 patients living in a square mile. And thousands of people got sick. And there was no treatment. And these are people that I've taken care of for two decades. And they were all looking for, to me for, for help. And they were going to the hospital and dying. And I had nothing to offer them. And I, honestly, I was praying to God. Uh, it was the first week of March. And at like 2 o'clock in the morning, I, I couldn't sleep. And next thing I know, I see in my, um, on my, in my email a, a, a video sent to me. Uh, it was MedCram episode 34 on YouTube. And Dr. Schultz, who was a... Uh, intensivist, intensive care uh, uh, doctor, um, explained, reminded me of a mechanism of action for uh, uh, suppressing viral uh, replication. 
It was based on zinc and, and something called a zinc ionophore, which I'll explain. And so I said to myself, wow, that really makes sense to me. And there was no treatment. All the government was saying was give people Tylenol, go home. If you get sicker, go to the hospital. And in New York at that time, 85% of the people were uh, dying on a respirator. And so I, I came up with a treatment approach uh, based on work done in South Korea and in France. And I started using it in my high-risk patients um, early in the disease process. I wouldn't wait for them to get sicker. I would do the testing, but it took a week to get the results. So I would just treat them. If I thought they had COVID, I would just treat them. And after the first 10 patients, I, I just saw the same thing. After 6 to 12 hours, they, the breathing started to improve. And I said, oh, this is a fluke. This can't be. But I kept on doing it. And after around 50 patients, I said to myself, this is not a fluke. This is something significant. I made a YouTube video with the help of my son because I'd never made a YouTube video. Uh, addressed to the president of the United States. 16 hours later, you can't make this stuff up. I get a phone call from Mark Meadows, his chief of staff. Um, Dr. Zelenko, you want to speak to the president? I said, yeah, this is what I'm seeing. They were very interested. And I gave them updates every uh, few days with my progress. Again, this was only the beginning, but... I kept on seeing the same, same thing, the patient just getting better and not going to the hospital. And then a week later, Rudy Giuliani called me, and I did a podcast with him, and that went viral, millions of people saw it, and my life has never been the same. Hmm. But, um, it's, it's, yeah, so I, I just, it was, God created, a, you know, they say necessity is the mother of all innovation, and uh-huh. I had a big necessity. I wanted to keep my patients alive. I find it interesting that this journey really began with you with a doctor on uh, YouTube for a, you know, a, a med cram uh, a video. And we have the social media platforms doing everything. I don't know if that med cram could have been uh, posted today with everything that's going on. We are silencing the sharing of information. So let me tell you what I came across. Um, I was using hydroxychloroquine, um, zinc, and azithromycin. And just to quickly explain, it's not magic, there's strong biology behind it. Zinc uh, prevents the virus from making copies of itself by inhibiting an enzyme. The name of the enzyme is RNA-dependent RNA polymerase. That's so important. Uh, the problem is zinc doesn't get into the cell where the virus is because um, it's surrounded by water and the cell membrane is cholesterol like it's like oil and water and so so think of zinc as a bullet but it needs a delivery system it needs a gun to to get the bullet right through the water and the oil if you will that's right hydroxychloroquine Mm -hmm. opens a canal a channel it's called a zinc ionophore and allows the zinc to go inside the cell if there's enough zinc inside the cell and inhibits this enzyme the virus can't make copies of itself it can't spread that's the science behind it it was very very simple and I, I was, I was, it was actually quite elegant. I was using it, it, it was remarkable. Then March 27th, uh, I call him the ghoul. Governor Cuomo, ex-Governor Cuomo, issued an executive order um, blocking pharmacies from dispensing hydroxychloroquine. Um, and it was a direct attack on my practice and, and my patients, because I was the only one in the state, probably in the country, doing it. And so I, I couldn't understand why that would happen. I, I sent them a uh, a very cordial letter and uh, asking him to reconsider and of course I never heard from him so I had to go back 
and innovate again. And, you know, on uh, the NIH server of all places, I found a substitute gun, a substitute zinc delivery system, the peer-reviewed papers about some, a substance called quercetin. Now, I, to be honest, I'd never heard of quercetin, so I, I Google it, and I see it's over the counter. It's a derivative of onions and apple peels. So I said to myself, oh, my God, I just found the cure to tyranny. Because there's really only two reasons why people die from COVID. It's the moronic, by the way, uh, Omicron is the same letters as moronic. It's the moronic doctor that uh, people choose that delays treatment and the tyrannical government that blocks access to to life-saving medication. Uh I have to explain, COVID is two diseases. There's the first week, which is the viral phase. No one dies from that. But then there is an immune reaction, a pathogenic, uh, dangerous immune reaction that leads to uh, catastrophic lung damage and blood clots, and that's what people die from. And that happens week two and three. So the key is to get rid of the virus, put out the fire while it's contained, and not let it spread. The cancer, you know, it's best to treat the cancer when it's localized in one place, not to wait until it's metastatic and spread everywhere, and then treat it. Obviously, the results will be worse. The same thing with with uh, COVID. The sooner you treat it, the sooner it goes away. You don't get the uh, pathogenic uh, immune reaction that leads to lung damage. And so, um, I started advocating for quercetin use because I had I had nothing else to offer, and that started to work. And that they couldn't block because it was over the counter. So that started that that was my red pill. You know, to, I, I I was just like everyone else, just a uh, simple biomedical doctor who was following the rules. But when I saw the governor of New York, literally, I, I lost patients because of him, because uh, p- patients couldn't get the medication in the right time frame, ended up in the hospital and died. So anyway, so that's when I began to keep my eyes open and try to understand, you know, really what is going on here? Why um, is common sense and access to medication uh, that's been around for 65 years. You know, hydroxychloroquine, FDA approved for rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, malaria, and malaria prophylaxis. It's been approved for 65 years. It's used in pregnant women. It's used in nursing mothers and in children. Some people live right. on it at 400 milligrams a day. And now it's being blocked in the case of um, COVID, but not anything else. It completely was, it just didn't make sense. Can you can you attribute any goodwill to that? Is there anything that shows that that could be a danger um, to a COVID patient, or is there? Well, let me just ask you that first. Um, any obstruction of hydroxychloroquine, in my opinion, is a crime against humanity, mass murder, and genocide. So I don't know if I answered your question. Oh, I, I think you answered it much more clearly than, than I would have, <laughs> would have expected. Um, and is there, uh, have you seen any medical anything? You may disagree with it, but any medical explanation on why it should be uh, uh, banned? Well, yes. Uh, there, w- there was a Lancet study that came out, a uh, meta-analysis of 96,000 patients that hydroxychloroquine kills people. So that was pretty concerning, except there was only one problem with that, that that paper was, was fraud. It was based on fraudulent data 
and, and the biggest scandal in the history of, of medicine and in the peer review process, Lancet and the New England Journal of Medicine had to retract this paper for absolute fraud. That was one. Number two, okay. it was the recover, recovery trial. Listen to this one. And it found that hydroxychloroquine kills people. Well, that was true, actually. It was 25% mortality rate. The only problem with that study, they were using 2,400 milligrams a day. Now, I was using 400 milligrams a day. So that was enough to kill an elephant. All that study proved was that if you give homicidal lethal dosing, uh, poison people, they'll die. Well, I, I could have told them that. And then there was another study from Virginia, from the VA, where hydroxychloroquine not only didn't it work, but it seemed that everyone who took it died. The only problem with that study was the patients that it was given to were on a respirator on average for 17 days. Mm. And so they, they concluded that its use is, is, it doesn't work. I was never right. advocating for its use in the late stages. I was advocating for its use in the first few days to prevent okay. uh, the virus from spreading. All right, so hang on just a second, because I want to take you down one more uh, hole here that um, I think is important to explain. I don't think most people even understand that there is a protective coating uh, around, uh, uh, around the, the cells of COVID, that that's why, uh, uh, you know, you, you, you use zinc, but it doesn't do anything without something like hydroxychloroquine. I don't think... I've never heard that explanation. We'll get to a little bit more of this here in just a second. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. Well, it looks like California is getting ready to double their income tax. Double the income tax. It... uh, it will increase the average taxpayer's uh, tax burden in California by over $12,000 every year. That's going to go well. California, I mean, now you're on it. Now you've, now you've gotten down to it. Now let's take an additional 12,000 people from the average person. That's going to be, uh, wow, that's going to be great. Uh, plus all the COVID vaccines. Plus California is now looking at making it mandatory that even if you have COVID, you'll have to go to work in the hospital, which I think Stu is taking the best of New York's policy and merging it with the absolute best of California. I think mm. that's fantastic. Yeah, that's the way to go. That's the way yeah. to do it. By the way, a lot of these things are all happening because of the Great Reset. France is now uh, bracing themselves for 35 to 40 percent guaranteed increase in electric bills this winter. 35 to 40 percent increase in the electrical bills. Why? Because they are planning power outages of the nuclear power plants, which France gets most of its power from nuclear. And they're going to uh, put those on power outages, uh, you know, just to get ready for the Great Reset. We've got to get these these evil nuke plants out of there and get people to pay higher prices for their electricity. Forty percent. There will be riots in the streets of uh, France. This is the kind of stuff that is coming our way. And you won't have anything to do with it. And they'll explain it away a a million different ways. But the problem is being caused by the left and those who believe in Build Back Better. 
It's called The Great Reset. We've been talking about it for a long time. Tomorrow, my new book comes out on The Great Reset. This is a must-read for anybody that cares about freedom anywhere in the world. This is not an American-centric book. Uh, It is written for America, but this involves the entire free world. It's Justin Haskins uh, co-authoring it with me called The Great Reset, and Justin is with us now. Hi, Justin. Good morning, Glenn. I just saw this. Um, I just saw this new Heartland poll from Rasmussen that is coming out next week. You sent it to me early, uh, and I find some really disturbing things in there, specifically on the Great Reset. Forty-four percent of Americans don't have any idea what it is, and then it is almost a tie, if I'm not mistaken on those for and against these policies. Is that right? Uh, so the vast majority of people, that's true, did not know what it was. As Of the people who did know what it was, um, it was pretty close to a tie. If you're looking at strongly favor versus somewhat favor and somewhat oppose and strongly oppose, you group those things together, it was pretty close to a tie, but somewhat oppose was over 50%. So most voters did say if they knew what it was that they did not support it and strongly opposed was by far the plurality choice at 43 percent so correct uh, there were a lot of people who know what it is and hate it (laughs) but there's still a lot of people who have no clue what it is and their world is changing around them and they just don't know why and i would contend that uh, some of those people that said yeah they know about it and they're for it some are socialists some have to be fascistic but i'll bet you most people don't really even know you know they've bought the the hype that this is just a jobs program this is you know just uh, for global warming they haven't really looked into it that would be my guess yeah I, I i totally agree with that and actually there was one question in the poll that we asked that i think brought that out we asked people what they thought the highest priority should be for businesses. So if they had to choose one highest priority for businesses, what should it be? And of the questions we asked, most of them were things that you would normally, if you were a conservative, especially associate with things businesses should be doing, like earning a profit uh, to benefit shareholders or owners, providing individual consumers with high-quality products and services at the lowest prices. That was the number one choice at 45%. But then we threw in, Trying to stop climate change is one option, and then using business resources to pursue social justice causes as another option. Now, those two are pretty much the stated purpose of ESG scores, and which is a huge part of the Great Reset. And only 9% said trying to stop climate change, and 1% said using business resources to pursue social justice causes. So together, it's only 10% of voters. The vast majority of even Democrats did not make those selections. So when you ask people whether they support the Great Reset and they say yes, there were a bunch of people who said yes, but also said that they don't think that stopping climate change or or having businesses fight for social justice causes was their highest priority. And that's really one of the main uh, tenets of the Great Reset. So I don't think that people who support it even really fully understand what it is in the vast majority of cases. Especially since it looks like 54% of the American people still believe in capitalism. Uh, 45%, this is in order, 45% providing individual customers with high-quality products and services at the lowest price. Then the next is providing goods, benefits, and pay to employees. 
So, you know, that's probably pretty good. Um, 14, earning a profit to benefit shareholders or owners, 14%. The last two, like you said, is only 10%. And those are the real goals uh, of... um, of the Great Reset, I contend that earning a profit to benefit shareholders or owners, uh, that's also part of the Great Reset. Would you not agree, or would well, you? I, I, think, I think it it absolutely is. I think the Great Reset is the biggest Ponzi scheme that's ever been hatched in the history of humanity. <laughs> I think that there's trillions right. and trillions and trillions of dollars flowing into people in Wall Street, uh, investors and big banks and corporations and all these people. Uh, so I think there are a lot of people getting rich off of it. But I think when we ask voters this question, I don't think that they understand that. I think the vast majority of them are thinking, no, that's just part of capitalism. And there's certain people who would answer the question that way for that reason. But yes, is the Great Reset primarily about uh, benefiting shareholders and owners of companies? In a way, you could absolutely make that argument. Yeah, and I would say owners more than shareholders. I'd say owners more than shareholders, stakeholders, as they call them. Um, so let's let's go through some of this stuff. This this these poll numbers come out later this week and early next week. Um, but I think it's worth going into here. We have an exclusive on these. Uh, so let's go into them. Uh, let's start with let's start with covid um, and the trust level on covid and and vaccinations where does that stand right so what we wanted to do is ask questions that would get at the heart of how authoritarian are people really when it comes to the unvaccinated and so we asked the people we asked voters these are all likely voters we asked them a series of questions um about uh policy proposals some of them we just made up in that get increasingly more authoritarian to see how authoritarian people would be and then we looked at party affiliation and things to see if there was a connection between party affiliation and authoritarianism and what we found was that um, about half of democrats depends on the question sometimes a little more than half sometimes it's a little less but about half of democrats support some incredibly authoritarian policies for example we asked people if uh, they would support a policy that would require that uh, unvaccinated people live in designated areas or facilities, essentially camps, and about half of Democrats said yes. We asked if people should be required to wear trackable devices if they refuse to get vaccinated. About half of Democrats said yes to that as well. Mm. We asked if people should be fined or in prison for questioning the efficacy of the existing COVID vaccine. And about half of Democrats said that they should be fined or in prison for that. The only thing, the only authoritarian question we asked that did not have uh, about half of Democrats support it, uh, or more than half, was a question we asked, um, if you refuse to get vaccinated, should you lose custody of your children? And only 28 percent of Democrats said yes to that. So I mean, that is crazy. Been, uh, it's, it's totally crazy. And when we we looked at the results, we compare those results to say Republicans or independents. Independents are a little bit more likely to go along with it, as you would probably expect. But really, but, not not anywhere close. They're in the in the twenties. Exactly right. The independents overwhelmingly rejected these policies, uh, just as just as much, almost just as much as Republicans, depending on the question. So this is really only Democrats that support this. And then when you look at all the other crosstabs, 
uh, from the polling data, from all the other questions, the number one thing, well, one of the top two or three things, uh, but the biggest thing that you could look at to say, what is the best predictor for determining how people are going to answer these authoritarian questions was their support level for Joe Biden. If their support level for Joe Biden was very high, the highest level, then they were most likely to be authoritarian. If their support level was extremely low for Joe Biden, the, the, the biggest disapproval, then they were the least likely to be authoritarian. And so you can see this divide that exists in, the, in, in America is pretty overwhelming. And support for Joe Biden amongst independents was very low. So that actually mm. kind of plays into all of this as well. And where does Joe Biden stand with Donald Trump? I just saw a poll that shows Joe Biden is underwater in all but, I think, three states uh, in the union, which is really bad, really bad. Yeah, yeah. we, we asked questions about, a, we asked the question specifically about a head-to-head matchup between Joe Biden and Donald Trump in the next presidential election, and 46% of likely voters chose Donald Trump compared to 40% for, for Joe Biden. And when you look at the breakdown by party affiliation, what you see is that support, the, the real reason for the difference is that support for Joe Biden amongst independents was only 29% compared to Donald Trump was 45%. Mm. So if you're, if you're Donald Trump, that's an incredibly, incredibly strong result to get from a poll that's looking at likely voters. And women changed as well. Yeah, absolutely. Women were tied between Donald Trump and, and Joe Biden, which when you look at exit polling from the last election, women pretty much very strongly rejected Donald Trump, according to the exit polling, in favor of Joe Biden. So that shows that there are a lot of independents. There are a lot of women. If I had to guess, I would say there are a lot of people in suburbs uh, who are switch, changing their minds now that they've seen a year of Joe Biden and the absolute catastrophe that it's been. And this really shouldn't be shocking. This is what we saw with the election results that happened earlier in, uh, in Virginia. Um, Virginia is a blue state. Virginia is, has been a blue state now for over a decade. And yet they overwhelmingly rejected an establishment Democrat, went with a Republican. And I think that that shows when the, the election is about the issues, when, when people see the failure of the Biden administration, they're going to reject it and they're going to go in, a, in, in the direction of Donald Trump. One last one last thing on Virginia and Yunkin. He just um, put in as his uh, secretary of education somebody who is deep into Common Core, CRT, the connections and the money is, is gigantic. I hope he doesn't turn out to be, uh, you know, a uh, uh, hidden a hidden leftist or a hidden uh, uh, liar uh, when it comes to that. That was the most important thing, the the uh, schools with children. And um, he's just put in charge of all of the reforms, somebody who's believed in this stuff from the get-go. I, I hope the voice of Virginia and Virginians uh, are heard by the uh, the governor. Well, sir, thank you so much. 
I appreciate it. It is uh, Justin Haskins. He is the co-author of the book, The Great Reset, which comes out tomorrow. And you can find that at glensnewbook.com. There are, for the first time, we are having problems keeping people selling fake copies of my book uh, online. So we want to make sure that we are always on the links to make sure that you get the book that you want to buy. It's glensnewbook.com. Glensnewbook.com. Order it right now. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program. So, Stu, um, you know, I know you made fun of me on sports uh, last week, but I believe I I talked about the Detroit Lions, and uh, you made fun of me, but uh, Pat didn't have a good day yesterday. <laughs> Well, <laughs> you're talking about their win over the Green Bay Packers. Yes. Um, of course. The Detroit Lions. Even I know that's not supposed to happen. Now, you're correct that's not supposed to happen. However, the game completely meaningless for the Green Bay Packers, uh, considering they the had matter. the number one seed locked up and a bye, home field advantage throughout the playoffs. So they really didn't need to win the game. Of course, you knew that as a huge sports fan. Yeah, I did, I did know that. Mm. But... Uh, and do you just throw the game away? Do you just throw it away? Well, they benched a lot of their players, including their MVP-level uh, quarterback in the second half. Uh, I will say, if I'm a Detroit Lions fan, I'm a little upset that they did win because if they would have lost, they would have had the number one pick uh, in next year's draft, given Jacksonville won. But they decided to win that oh, game for some wow. reason, and instead now will be, I think, number two. See, that is the type of deep analysis that I lead everybody on this program right into. Right. That America oh, is, is, that? is needing. Yeah, That's what well, you were doing? You, know. you were leading me into analysis? Yeah, um, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So I actually watched the 49ers uh, with my son. I watched the, the Buccaneers and the 49ers and mm. the Ravens with my son yesterday. Um, but uh, uh, that San Francisco save at the end in overtime mm. when the 49ers, inter- well, it was an interception, I think. Yeah, an interception. Mm. That was unbelievable. Mm. <laughs> I still don't know how overtime works, but uh... and did you see the? Did you happen to see the game last night, Glenn? I'm sure you did. Raiders and Chargers, no, I didn't. Big, big game. Um, the end of the game was fascinating because if the two teams tied, they both would go to the playoffs. Uh, however, if one of them won, the other team would not go to the playoffs. So they went to overtime, and the Pittsburgh Steelers and the fans and the audience there were, I'm sure, sweating this as well, but. Uh, if they tied, the Steelers would have been out of the playoffs. And then the Raiders had a decision to make whether to just take a knee, take the tie, and go to the playoffs with the Chargers or try to kick a field goal to win the game and knock the Chargers out and let the Steelers in. A riveting, completely, like, it was a game that was completely riveting and also just based on obscure tiebreakers. Uh, so, so, yeah, but it so, was very fun. So here's the weird thing. I've noticed that when you get to this point in the season, Usually everybody is so matched that the games get boring. This is why the Super Bowl is boring, because there's never a blowout. You know what I mean? Like like the Ravens game yesterday was boring, boring, boring. Last fourth quarter, it gets, you know, tied up. Then it goes into overtime. It was actually exciting. But the first three quarters were a snooze fest. It's really fascinating to talk to you about this stuff, because I feel like I'm talking to a liberal about the economy. Oh, um, I'm sorry. I should <laughs> never talk about it. I'm sorry. I know I shouldn't talk about it. <laughs> no, it's, I mean, the Super Bowl was famous for being nothing but blowouts for like 20 years. 
And then, honestly, over the past 15 or so, it's been, you're right, a lot of really good games and, and uh, competitive games. But that used to be the thing all the time that by the, the second half, it was it was already over because mm. it was such a blowout. But, you're, I mean, you're right. So you, they think get, big, you think that's big pharma that did that? Yeah, that changed it? It probably is. I yeah, would say, why yeah. we, let's, let's play Pfizer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah big Dorito. That's, that's what's happening there. We need like those it. spots. Yeah. We need those spots. Um, there's something else that I, I would like to go into that I'm more, much more of an expert on, mm. uh, and that is uh, great television. Because mm. uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm home with COVID. You're feeling better, though, right? Oh, I'm feeling very, I'm, I, I would be at work today, no problem. In normal circumstances. In normal circumstance. I just don't want to get everybody sick. And please pray for our staff. We are really oh down God. to a shoestring. Um, uh, you know, Sarah is out. Pat is out. Jeffy, please pray for Jeffy. Jeffy is got COVID. And to say Jeffy's not at the <laughs> peak of health is is an understatement and quite honestly none of us are stronger to strong enough to carry that casket so <laughs> too soon yeah a little bit too soon just a tad not by much i'll tell you not by much but just a little too soon i'm worried about our backs you yeah. know it's bad <laughs> but uh please pray for jeffy because he has he's had a rough go of it in the last couple of years yeah uh, and we're all very, very concerned about him and love him dearly. Um, but uh, and Pat as well. And we've got we've got a ton of people that you don't know their names that are also at it's it's getting bad. If we if we're still on the air on uh, Friday, it'll be it'll be interesting. We're hiring nurses now yeah. to do to do camera jobs, but <clears throat> and no vaccine required. I, I may be the only person on every Blaze TV show this week. Uh, it's, it's I know. Like everybody is out sick right now. And I think this I is, know. you know, I've been talking to people, friends around the country, and, and, and it's this way seemingly everywhere right now. Everywhere. I and mean, it's just, it's yeah, it just doesn't matter. The, the, the vaccine doing the same kind of thing. This is the Omicron variant. This, nobody was prepared for this one. Um, but the good news is it is much less severe, much less severe. There is, there is, there's no way I would have been broadcasting last week with the original COVID. I may have had Delta, I'm not sure, but I had it right before the vaccines were out. Yeah, I think you were pre-Delta. Um, it could have been Alpha, maybe. Um, yeah. But it was, yeah. I know my family had Alpha. I didn't get Alpha. And then right as Delta was kind of really snowballing, I got Delta, I think. Um, and okay. now we believe I have Omicron, which even if, if I have Delta, it's not the same it's just not the same. Either my immune system really kicked in or it's just a much weaker Omicron uh, variant, yes. which is great if this happens. The scientists are somewhat split on whether it's actually a lot less severe or we just have a lot of immunity built up between not only the vaccine, but obviously also people just getting it over the years that a lot of people who are now getting it the second time, it seems to break through both vaccine and natural immunity. And people who are getting it the second time are having a much better go of it. Uh, look, I mean, this is this is this is uh, what happened in yeah. 1918. It is. Yeah. 1918. The Spanish flu was deadly. 1919. Even worse. Yeah. 1920. It was like this. It started to it, like this. Maybe just started to burn through and just become the common flu. The Spanish flu. That's why we have flu shots every year because of that. 
this may be replacing, hopefully, the common cold. And that would be fantastic if that happened. We don't want to double the flu numbers. Uh, and, you know, nobody wants to have everybody have a cold. But if this can just become the replacement of the common cold, that's good. That's good stuff. Much better than the alternative. It's not a it's not a society shutting down type of thing. You know, I think we're we're going to have a rough couple of weeks just because not yes, because we are. Yeah, look, you have more you have more uh, immunity. You, you have a, a, a lighter variant, but also you just have numbers. It's so transmissible. I mean, it's so transmissible, so transmissible. And, and here's the problem. Just you can't take this many people out of society and expect everything to be running normally. Yeah, it just it, it can't happen. But that doesn't mean the hospitals are overwhelmed or anything else. You know, they're not giving you the numbers of the hospital. The people that are in for covid is minuscule next to the number of people who are in the hospital for something else and with covid yeah when it gets something that's something a complete spreads, different yeah when it's something gets spread around this wild wildly a lot of people have it don't even realize it go in for a broken leg or whatever and have it and like you know it, it presents issues for hospitals right it's totally different though than what we were seeing you know in northern italy or even like new york city in, in march of 2020 mm-hmm. there you've got they're putting refrigerated trucks with bodies outside of the hospitals now you're talking about okay like let's say someone comes in with a broken leg uh, they would normally go to that area of the hospital. Well, now if they have COVID, they can't put them next to a, a, a person who has a broken leg that doesn't have COVID. You can't stick them in the same room. So they need more space. They need different areas. They need to rearrange things. Add on to that, that doctors and nurses and other healthcare workers are getting COVID at the same time and have to stay home. It does stress hospitals, but it's a totally different thing than what they were warning about back in uh, 2020. And you would not be able to tell that from the coverage in the media. They're making it sound as if it's as bad or worse no. than the worst moments of this thing. It's not even close to that. No. People are not on ventilators like they were. We were running out of ventilators. None of that is happening. None of that is happening. And by the way, if you miss the protocol today and you want to be able to fight this in advance, the, the secret is getting it before it hits you and having your immune system bolstered. And then there are two stages of this. There's when you are infected and can affect infect others. Um, and then the stage two is when it goes down into the lungs and it gets really nasty. And that's where you get blood clots and everything else. You want to treat this immediately. And it's really pissing me off that doctors are saying, just go home, take some aspirin, sit through it. No, that is the time to make sure that you kill that from replicating in the first week and it's really important to do you know something else that really bothers me i I know you watched the case study Stu, from pfizer did you look at the london and european uh part of that study uh i mean i think a a while ago i looked at it so the, the europeans they didn't you know england was really good at getting everybody their their vaccine okay this is in the vaccine report and so what happened is they had this huge spike when they get all the vaccines they have this huge spike of covid patients and then it takes a huge dive down and it's very flat after a while where um europe didn't have that and they just keep kind of going up and you know going for a long time that huge spike according to pfizer's own data in their trials, their clinical trials, shows that that spike 
is from a 14-day period after you get the vaccine or a booster that makes your, your body more vulnerable to getting COVID. It will be less severe, but in that first 14 days, you're more vulnerable to get it. So the time to say, get the vaccine, get the booster, is not when everybody is having it. Like right now, getting the booster could possibly make it much more likely that you get COVID in the next four days because your body is already struggling with it. And if you're exposed, the, the Pfizer's own research shows this. That's why it's so dangerous, this you know, it's going around. You've got to go get it right now. You've got to go get your booster or your shot right now. No. You say those things when we have relative periods of rest, not at the height of it. Yeah, there's a, I mean, look, there's a lot of theories and a lot of disagreement on this stuff. But, I mean, I think at this point you should be able to just go out. You're going to have to analyze this and make your own decisions. Nobody, yep. Anthony Fauci and Rochelle Walensky or Glenn Beck or Stuberg, or none of us are your doctor or your dad. So just go figure out your own, make your own mind up, look at the stuff that you can find. And at this point, the information's out there. If you, if you just got to live with your own decisions, right? I mean, that's where we all yeah. are. Na, na, na.